0: You're listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. Interference Archive is a social space, exhibition venue, and OpenStax archive of social movement material. Our work is rooted in the belief that our shared histories should be held in common and accessible to all.
1: Radio makes me peel my ear. When you hear stories on the radio, it just captures you, and you just sit there, and you want to hear that full story.
0: I'm Charlie Morgan. And on this week's episode of Audio Interference, our guest is Rob Robinson. Rob is a long-time housing activist in New York City, and you may know him from his work with Picture the Homeless, Take Back the Land, and many other organisations. But he's also a big supporter and practitioner of community and activist radio. From 2008 to 2016, he was a part of the show Global Movement's Urban Struggles on the Pacifica station WBAI. On top of this, his housing work has taken him across the world and he's been able to experience the role of community radio in many different countries. In December of last year, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Rob to talk about social movements and the power of audio.
1: Absolutely. The the commentators, when they're they're painting, there's a Vince Scully, who was a very well-known baseball announcer in this country, always talked about painting the word picture. He said, the people listening on the radio can't visualize it, so I need to paint that picture for them. So a good announcer would always set a scene for you, and your imagination just opens up as you're listening. I'm Rob Robinson I'm a community organizer here in New York City and a housing activist and a promoter of community radio
0: so I was wondering if you could just start by giving a sort of brief synopsis of your history with radio and community radio sure
1: so I'll start with radio Charlie so I grew up um, in suburban New York out on Long Island and my dad was an avid listener to radio particularly old uh, classic American music on a station called WNEW, 1130 AM. And he would listen constantly to um, all news stations, right? And, you know, constantly riding with your dad, whether it's going to a ball game, whether you're going to work with him. I went to work with my dad at an early age. He was in the restaurant business. It was always a radio on the kitchen. So I grew up with radio constantly around me. And it was, um, it was a little bit different than television. Radio... Kept your attention. It kept you listening and understanding, trying to understand what was going on at the moment. And we had these powerful AM stations here in New York City, 50,000 watts, not only in New York City, around the country. So about eight, nine o'clock at night on a summer night, I could take my small radio. I could get KMOX in St. Louis and hear Jack Buck and Mike Shannon announce St. Louis Cardinal games. I get WBAL in Baltimore, WBZ Boston, and Ernie Harwell WWJ in Detroit, Michigan. So I got used to radio, and it became a fascination with me, and it still carries over into the social justice work I do today.
0: And so, moving on from that, when did you first? um, When were you first on radio yourself?
1: So myself, um, I actually learned um, radio through a group called People's Production House. A uh, former morning person on WBAI, a community radio station, public radio here in New York City. It's a Pacifica station. Deeper Fernandez did the morning show. She was a well-known journalist who was trained in London. But when she came to New York, she always said, I wanted to teach community radio. I wanted to uh, take community organizers and teach them how to collect social justice news, edit it, and get it on the air, because those are the stories that aren't being told. Mainstream media aren't talking the stories from different communities, and that's something I want to do. So she set up a not-for-profit organization, and I was fortunate enough. I was a member of a group called Picture the Homeless here in New York, and I was chosen in 2008, to be one of the first people to go through that course. And, you know, I worked with Deeper and I worked with the staff at the time. You know, eventually it landed me a spot on WBAI, hosting a show called Global Movements, Urban Struggles.
0: Just going back to your first times on WBAI, do you remember some of those, like, early days or the first shows, what it was like?
1: Well, it was... So, first, I was actually thrust into the co-host role. I was actually sitting back And doing, you know, just gathering the news because I had a lot of friends in the community, knew a lot of people in different organizations. So I would take my recorder out and I, you know, do interviews with people and then I'd bring it back to the studio. We'd edit it. And then, you know, the the folks who were hosting the show would get it on the air. We had one day I got to the studio because I was doing a piece and I was going to introduce that piece and one of the co-hosts didn't show up. And Abdullah Bar, who was a producer, said, okay, you got a co-host to show. And I was like a deer in headlights. He says, here's a script, you just read this, you know, you'll be fine. And I, you know, at first I was frightened, and you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, the one finger went up, meaning you have one second. And I welcomed the WBAI Global Movement with Urban Struggles. And I just relaxed from that point on and really assimilated into the role and actually took over for that person who was absent because he sort of backed away from the position, and for the next four or five years, I was a co-host.
0: And what kind of stories were you covering on the show?
1: Mostly community news, events that are happening in particular communities. Um, you know, one thing that was covered, I was part of a group uh, with Picture the Home, was called Right to the City Alliance. And in 2008, it was February 2008, uh, we were going to do a protest in front of uh, the Grand Hyatt Hotel on 42nd Street. Mayor Bloomberg was the host or the keynote speaker at something called the Future of New York from 2030 onward. It was hosted by Con Ed and, and uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. This It was a luncheon. It was $250 a plate. So we were like freaking out. Like, you're going to have this $250 plate luncheon to decide what our future looks like and we're not invited. So we organized the members of Right to the City Alliance to bust up the keynote speech. So we brought in 100 members just as Mayor Bloomberg was about to start his keynote speech. and We started chanting, show us what democracy looks like. This is it. It was all young people, older people, people of color, different generations of folks. And then You know, all of the press, as we were hurried out of the room by the security force of the mayor, all of the press left the room. It took all of the energy out of the room. They followed us. I was one of eight people that ended up getting arrested. They saw us as leaders of the group. But at the time, I also had a Zoom recorder in my pocket, and the police was so interested in locking me up and handcuffing me that I left a Zoom recorder on in my pocket and it was recording all of this information. So by the time they realized I had you know, all this property on me and they had to check it, I said, no, I don't want to check it. I want to have one of my friends take it away knowing that there's a Zoom recorder with about six hours of conversation on it. And they took it away and end up editing and put on a special two-hour show to talk about the whole incident. So it really got the social justice movement in the city riled up, and then uh, we found a way, as some of us were being held at Central Booking, to actually use a pay phone and dial into one of the free conference call numbers and digitally record that phone call and got the information on the air about how people were being treated. So it was a fascinating way to, to get stuff to the radio and be a part of it, you know, be a central part in making that happen.
0: Could you just talk a bit about your experience of radio and community radio in different countries? Particularly in Brazil and other
1: places in Latin America like uh, Colombia where I have some good experience, and I know it's huge. I've never been to Mexico, but I know community radio is huge in Mexico. These are places where there's a lot of censorship on radio and messages can't get out and messages are controlled. And people don't have a lot of resources, but they took their knowledge, their human resources and their knowledge, and understood how they can communicate across borders to one another, particularly in the Global South. So if a dam is being built in Brazil and people are being displaced in Brazil and it's gonna affect the Argentina border or Peru, you know they're able to articulate this out of a community radio over a signal that can be picked up in Peru or Argentina. Right, and tell about this story, and really share their experiences and what has happened to us, and understanding that the other end of this dam is coming to your community in Peru. So it's a way of communicating um, information inexpensively; doesn't take a lot of resources. Um, there are meetings held in the Global South a lot of times that involve community radio. So there might be a community radio in a church or access to community radio, and there's somebody transmitting information from a different part of the country. But it's an important story that's going to affect this part of the country. So people are having a meeting around listening to this particular story. Then they decide what we're going to do with it after they listen to the story. So,
0: And uh, some of these are pirate stations as well, I assume. Well, many
1: of these are pirate
0: <laughs> stations, right? I mean, you know,
1: people have knowledge, right? And they could put together stations, surely, that will blow the doors off of, you know, a government station, right, <laughs> you know, and sometimes they sit out over the ocean. They're in these open spaces, and you don't have, let's say, if you think about New York City and all the large structures that could interfere with the radio signal, you're looking at open land. You know, you get up in the Amazon in Brazil, and you set up, you know, $20 worth of equipment. You can blow a 1,000 miles out, you know, because there's nothing to interfere with that signal. So it's, it's huge in these places, right, these wide open spaces where people can get information a large numbers. The people over our vast area
0: in um in London they used to they have these things called asbos, which are like really specific um restriction orders they can give, and people who were doing pirate radio stations from the top of tower blocks used to have asbos saying they weren't allowed above like the tenth floor in any building in the city because they knew they were going on the roof of the building um, <laughs> to to <put> aerials. <laughs> loaded doors off of some radio station, right? Like all of a
1: sudden you took over like a popular signal here, like who are these guys, you know? But it's amazing. I I think it, it speaks to the knowledge of people and what people are walking around with. What I would like to see, Charlie, though, is people really share this knowledge, right? You know, instead of, you know, working in our little silos, right? Come together and work and You know, build something strong. And you know, love to see some pirate radio station that's going from New York to California, right? Just blowing the signals off high-powered radio stations clean across the country, right? There's no doubt I have a strong interest in radio. As I said, I carry around in my bag a little radio. You know, I won't buy a cell phone that doesn't have a radio on it, right? But I think there is something about a radio. If a story is told well, and this is understanding the effects of storytelling, and maybe that's where I'm fortunate in the social justice world. Two producers of storytelling, Rachel uh, Falcone and Michael Primo, whom you may know, they do a storytelling project called Housing is a Human Right, Occupy uh, Sandy Storyline. I was a member of Picture the Homeless when they heard my story, and they said they had gotten a grant to work with the Laundromat Project and gather these stories and get them on air, and they played these stories in the laundromat. And I went to the premiere, which was in Fort Greene in Brooklyn. I didn't tell anybody who I was. I just wanted to see what the reaction was. And normally you go in a laundromat and people are always, for some reason, mesmerized by their clothes going around in a circle in a washer or dryer, right? but these stories were on and people's ears were peeled to the speakers like they wouldn't leave and I could watch their eyes and their reaction. People were like, "The hell with my clothes. (laughs) You know, the story is powerful. So that really was um, an eye-opener for me to say the right stories can really grab people and radio and audio is a means to do that, whether it be podcasts, whether it be just straight up radio. This is a way, if the story is told correctly, that people will listen.
0: You've been listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. The archive is collectively run and volunteer powered. If you like what you heard today, consider making a donation to help keep the archive up and running. Just go to interferencearchive.org and click on donate. From all of us at Audio Interference, thanks for listening.